0: your opinion of yourself and your belief in yourself is more important than anyone else's.
1: The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson.
2: Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon, actually at the Canon, where we normally hold our OGGN happy hours uh, with Cindy Lee Gillespie, president at GOA Enterprises and Vice President of Business Development for Oil & Gas Global Network. Welcome.
0: Hey, thank you very much for having me, Paige.
2: Yeah. Before we get into it, I wanted to remind our listeners, if you leave a review on iTunes, I'll read it on the show, and I can't wait to hear from you guys. So, Cindy Lee, let's start talking about how you got started in the oil and gas industry.
0: Well, I was, it was a side effect, actually, of being involved in the marine industry, I was helping a scientist introduce a combustion catalyst to reduce emissions in bunker fuel, of all things, and was doing a lot of work with the IADC, International Association of Drilling Contractors. Mm-hmm. So although I was in the oil and gas sector starting back as early as 2006, it wasn't really until I had a product line of my own that I got more deeply involved in the rest of the industry. It was I was very targeted on the marine side initially to start. So, I had a mutual acquaintance that introduced me to a protective coating that was a new technology to the U.S. That I began importing back in 2008, and just um, I really love business building and taking a technology or a product that has like zero market share and finding out how I can help customers. You know, a lot of the criteria for the products that I was introducing at the time is that they had to have a positive and environmental benefit because that was something really important to me. I grew up on a farm in Canada, so taking care of the land has been something that's always been near and dear to my heart. So, you know, the oil and gas industry is so multifaceted and there's just so many things that you can do within it that I just, you know, found my niche introducing products to, to that market.
2: And what are some of the real challenges? I mean, you said you, you're you originally from Canada, grew up yeah. on a farm. So what are what are some of the the challenges you really had to face With all the business building, because you and I have something in common, and it's an organization, we have to have order.
0: Yeah, so you know, the business building in one way comes very naturally to me being from a farm background, and I've always said that I think farmers are some of the true entrepreneurs of this country. Because, you know, if you don't get up in the morning and make it happen, you don't eat. And we're all rather fond of eating, of course, right. (laughs) So I so I learned that at a very young age that, you know, you get up in the morning and you you do whatever you have to do, uh, regardless of the risks, you know, you've got your end vision for your crops and and the cash flow that are going to come as a result of that but of course you know there's a lot of things that can happen between the time you plant and the time you harvest so you know i i got fairly used to well it's not a high risk adverse Farming, of course, isn't, isn't really high. You can't be high risk adverse if you're a farmer yeah. because, you know, you've got this thing called the weather that can have a, huge, <laughs> have a huge impact on what you're doing and your end results. And, of course, government regulations, the economies, like there's, there's a huge number of factors. So, So the business building, I think, was just a side effect of growing up that everybody was in my family was a farmer. And when my grandparents finally sold their farm, like all my aunts and uncles went on to own their own businesses. So it just seems to be something that we've done as a way of life.
2: That's awesome. So what brought you to the United States?
0: Oh, we'd have to be drinking a lot for me to tell you that story.
2: But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so another day? <laughs> yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. Yeah, there's there's no short version of that. But and it was a, it was a family thing, and it was at a point in my life where that
2: anywhere but Canada seemed like a really good idea. So, Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the only thing I have against Canada is how cold it is. I just can't handle it. I
0: just... yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was, that was a lot It was like, oh, God, they, they've got margaritas and valet parking in, in Texas um, 12 months of the year. <laughs> like, sign me up. <laughs> Fair enough.
2: <laughs> so, what? you know, we were talking about organization, and, and that's kind of how you saw you going along with the rest of your family. What got you into the marine part of it?
0: Yeah, so again, it was just... I've always been involved in industrial sales. When I lived in Canada, I was a manufacturer's agent of electrical goods. And interestingly enough, I imported products from the U.S. to Canada. So I sold what's called transmission line hardware. So that's transmission is 72 kV and up. So things that went on the big power lines. I had a line of fiber optic guy wire. So, you know, I love big business and infrastructure. And I just happened to meet someone, again, one of those mutual acquaintances that Mm -hmm. said, you know, this scientist has this great product and he's a scientist. And I took a look at it and I saw the opportunity simply because it was at a time when the EPA was changing the regulations for the ultra low sulfur diesel Mm. and that it was going to really affect the marine industry in a huge way. So I spent a couple of years uh, working with him on getting his product launched. So it wasn't even so much that I was really pursuing the marine industry as it was a technology where I found a niche that the marine industry was
2: perfect for him for. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just kind of you see all the the puzzle pieces and you put them together.
0: Yeah, like you know, it's one of those things that it there's pretty much isn't a product or something available that if I do a bit of marketing research on, then I'm like, oh, I know exactly what a great niche would be for this. Because I'm really much more into serving a niche and solving a problem that no one else can solve than I am just, you know, we've got 9,000 widgets. Which size do you want? Yeah. No disrespect to widget
2: salespeople. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I guess... We never really hit that challenge factor. The, oh, the, yeah. The, okay, the I'm part. sorry. Yes. No, 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 yeah. no. no, no, the, no. Um,
0: so the challenge was was really coming into this without any knowledge of the industry. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of a learning curve with that. And, you know, a lot of times you don't know what you don't know, and then you find out what you don't know, <laughs> and then you have to know. Yeah. So the, the challenge was really just... Not having the background either in the marine industry, because of course I'm from the prairies in Canada, so mm-hmm. we not a whole lot of vessel traffic in and out of Manitoba. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, the the challenge was just, and and also not having any contacts. I mean, I'm from a completely different country. I ended up moving to Houston or, or doing business in Houston back around 2007, 2008. So it was just, it was really starting from ground zero, which doesn't intimidate me. I was fine with that. And yet it was not having a network. To work, yeah. I, I'd say, is one of the biggest challenges. The learning part came fairly easy because um, I love to read and I love to learn. So, you know, every, my friends accuse me of being a geek on a fairly regular basis, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> oh, I get it too, um, yes, trust me. I was yes, <laughs> yes, like,
0: like, oh, did you see the research report? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm fine with all of that, but it was really being here By myself, and of course, like I've I've owned my own business almost my whole entire life, so it wasn't even starting off in a company where there were coworkers. It was really just having to find my way on my own.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that can be incredibly scary and lonely.
0: Yeah, it can. I always say, like, the you know the the only thing about um, having your own business when you work by yourself is that your Christmas parties typically suck because it's just you. (laughs) <laughs> or it doesn't because you're yes, by yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, office politics. You know, it was funny. I was out on a, uh, working at a shipyard in Mobile, Alabama, and, you know, and visiting with the applicators, and and we were doing stuff. And, of course, as soon as anyone finds out that I've got my own business, they have a very different perspective. And I remember um, one of the young men saying to me, he says, oh, you own your own business? Like, that's my dream job. I said, oh, you know what my dream job is? When somebody calls, I say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not my department. Let me transfer you. <laughs>
2: click. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, it's just like, there's just, there's never any shutting off. So yeah. yeah. But anyway. Yeah, That that is one downside to being yes. self-employed. Yeah.
2: yeah. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Oh, just one. Well, if you've got more than one. Yeah. Bring so, it on. Yeah.
0: Well, I think really that you're... Opinion of yourself and your belief in yourself is more important than anyone else's. And um, I would just had this discussion with someone this morning because I very much believe that we impose our own limitations. When we say, oh, I could never do that, you know, we don't pick up the phone, we don't, whether it's apply for the job, we don't take action, you know, so it's, I I believe that we build our own limits in our mind and I'm very much a a mindset girl and that's something that's served me well over the years working on my own. Again, I had a really severe car accident back in 1994 and i had to completely rehab my life and including like pounding blocks to let everyone know that that i was still a, a somewhat normal functioning adult but and I, so i had to deal with our, our car insurance in canada is all government and i had to deal with
2: a i'm sorry yeah
0: i you know had to deal with a um you know Adjuster who worked within the framework of a government, and I was wanting to do again some business stuff as I was rehabbing myself. And I still had a vision for my life, I'd still always been a business owner. And I remember him saying to me, Well, what made you think you could do that? And I said, Well, it never occurred to me that I couldn't. Wow, yeah, like I would just, like his, and you know, there was a bit of silence between us, you know, he couldn't get his head wrapped around that I was where I was. Pounding blocks, but still making plans for a business life, and like what makes you think you can do that? And I'm like, well, because it, you know, like I said, it never occurred to me that I couldn't. So, Yeah. yeah, so I think like there's no such thing as can't in my vocabulary. And I think that as again, having been a business owner for 30 years, whether it's been employing myself, I have owned businesses. Oh, i would say back in the day when I had more money than brains, where I have like 50, 15 employees and all kinds of stuff. And I just always like can do is my go to. And when something new comes up, you know, my my default is, oh, OK, I'm a smart girl. I can figure it out. Yeah. And, and that's where I go to. So, again, and I know I'm kind of going on and on about the, the mindset part of it. And yet, I well, that's really, the
2: biggest thing. It's all psychological.
0: I absolutely believe that if you believe in yourself that that's gonna be what carries you through the times when you're seeing your world through the lens of like nobody else is on board and is believing in you either. So
2: Well and and, and and that's something I also believe too. How do you go through that, especially in the today's world where you have everyone online judging you? I mean how do you how do you still Kind of keep that together. I mean, I, I don't know. You don't have so many social accounts. I, I don't do Facebook. <laughs>
0: <That's why. laughs> I, so I live, I live purposely in, in somewhat of a bubble. You know, my mom will phone me from Canada and she's, did it make it in your bubble that this happened? I said, yeah, I got it. So I get, I get my industry newsletters. I tend to information that is going to impact my life. I get on my inbox or in a phone call. And outside of that, I don't seek a lot of information. I mean, I love my business. I love helping businesses grow. So if it isn't something that's going to serve me in that way, you know, I've said for a lot of years, if something's really going to affect my life, either the police are going to show up and knock on my door or my accountant's going to call me. (laughs) (laughs) Or the lottery commission. yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. And outside of that, I don't, I don't, I really just you know, don't pay a whole lot of attention to what other people have to say. Because I get that if, if somebody's judging me, that's their stuff. It says more about them than it does about me. Very true. Yeah. So so I just tend to, as I said, I just
2: don't bother to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Selective hearing. Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so you said you read a lot. What book would you say influenced you the most? So I loved Lee Iacocca's biography. He
0: went through so much and it's been a bazillion years actually since I've read the book but he had like you know they were having to deliver things they had some government cutoffs there may have been a bankruptcy of one of the uh, car manufacturers that he was with and it's like 11 o'clock at night they're basically driving with papers in hand to get stuff filed so yeah he went through an amazing amount of Turmoil and challenges, a very public firing that could have been really humiliating where he could have just said, you know, okay, I'm taking my bat and glove and going home. Yeah. And I, I just really admired that, that he, he kept his, his ideas and he knew that there were different ways to do things within the car manufacturing industry. And even though he got fired, he, he, cause he immediately got hired. By another company. And that's where I believe that the Ford Mustang was brought to market. And awesome. Was, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, his biography I thought was fabulous. So
2: Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely put that on the book list. What's your most used business tool, as a, especially as a business owner?
0: Oh, I'm just... This makes me sound—it's not Slack, so, is it? I'm just <laughs> it kidding. Makes me sound
2: so old. Doesn't anyone
0: use email and the phone anymore? Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. People use their phone, but it's not so much for calling each yes, other. Yeah, it's, yeah, more yeah, exactly. a, yeah, it's more of a—it's
0: more of a text. Yeah. yeah. I would—I would, I would actually—I have to say, like, I do a huge amount of searching on the internet for information and contacts and how people are building their businesses. So, I mean, I don't even do a whole lot of really in person networking. I, I utilize not a whole lot of web pages that I haven't visited. So <laughs> you know, with, within the within our business industry. So yeah. yeah, the good old good old Google search engine.
2: Yeah, yeah. I wish I would have bought into that a long no, time ago. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is applicable, but who would you say is your most respected competitor?
0: Yeah. So as far as a business model for the product that I import. It's completely different than the majors in the protective coating industry. So we have a very different business philosophy. So I'm not so sure that I have an answer as far as a competitor. I'll tell you who I have huge respect for within my industry, and that is the handful of contractors that I've met that were willing to take something new to their customer I mean, they took a risk on both, I would say, my product mm-hmm. and me. And, you know, they've gone to bat to their, cu- with their customers in an effort to bring them a new technology to say this is a completely way, new way of doing things. It's a different way. There's, savings for you, and we're willing to deliver you those savings. So I think the the rebel contractors along the way that have been willing to do a good job for their customer, even though they would face, let's say from the other big four protective coating manufacturers, perhaps some pressure <laughs> that they were breaking away from, well, this is the way
2: we've always done things in this country. Yeah.
0: And because I don't
2: think we really covered this earlier, uh, what is your product exactly?
0: Well, I import a protective coating from the United Kingdom. So it's a paint that you put on any place where you've got corrosion or to mitigate corrosion so, okay so like and, offshore, yes, yes, on offshore platforms. yes natural gas processing plants are doing a lot of business out in the permian basin now and it's got some unique properties and that we can coat wet substrate so, oh really yeah so instead of people uh, co- people companies having to shut down processing lines or equipment we can continue to coat it while it's in operation oh
2: wow so yes yeah,
0: so it flies in the face, and that was—that's again, you know, when you asked about some of the challenges. So I was, first of all, I'm female, and and I'm very tomboy, so I like never play.
2: That's where we—that's something yes, else yeah, we have in common. Yeah,
0: that's so I never, I never play the woman card because man, I can you can go talk it up it. with the best of them. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm cool. I, I can roll with that. So first of all, it was being a female because I've had a, you know a lot of men who have been in the industry. That are basically, you know, first of all, I'm a dumb broad because I'm a female, which is fine, that's their opinion. Mm -hmm. And then the next is I'm introducing a technology that flies in the face of everything that they have ever been taught. I mean, again... I was doing a demo for one new customer and it was funny, four different age groups of men and each one of them having their own reaction. And the man who'd been in the business the longest, I mean, he just stood with his hands in his um, coveralls and, you know, he said to me, he says, well, you realize you're trying to change 50 years of us all saying this can't be done. Suck it up, Girl and, Scout. And, and I said, yes, that's why I drink at breakfast. <laughs> no, so it's it was, again, so me holding my vision of what I knew the product could do in a market that was always telling me it can't be done, and never mind the fact it can't be done, and we're not going to listen to a woman telling us that we can do something differently. Like, there was a lot of that the first few years that I was just like, I did not know what I was signing up for. Do you remember when I said that you don't know what
2: you don't know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had no idea. No clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your most important lesson learned?
0: I think in one way, it's that old, you know, never let them see you sweat. Because I've had some experiences. Oh, we had this event that, a contractor was going to apply my product and at the time the offshore operator was spending like 28 million dollars annually on their paint program so this was potentially a good opportunity for me and and they messed it up they and i'm this isn't a me blaming a contractor thing for anybody who's listening it was just it was the guy things, that things happen the guy that he was supposed to spray it at six mils and he sprayed it at 12. We're human. Yeah, that doesn't work. But anyway And I remember turning around and and looking at the group of fifteen people from this company that were there, and you know, they just turned around and walked away. And it was one of those like, okay, now's not a good time to cry. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna have to suck it up. You know, like I I've I've done my best, like business is business. And even though, you know, I am my business. I still had to always maintain. And I think sometimes, yeah, because I am female, that there's sometimes the expectation that, you know, we're going to get crazy lady or upset or cry or whatever. I was thinking about crying right about then because I, and I can't wear This is, this is a non-explicit show. So I can't tell you what I was really thinking when it was <laughs> all going down. <laughs> but I, I I can gather. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just like, so I, believed that there was an answer. I knew my product. I was like, okay, we'll figure out what happened. Cause it wasn't immediately apparent what happened. It wasn't until after everybody left that then we, you know, did some checking and I was like, okay, <laughs> remember six, not 12. But anyway, and it was just, again, maintaining that my belief in myself, uh, my belief in my product, my belief that even if that customer never wanted to talk to me for the rest of my life, it wasn't going to determine what I could do for anyone else or the success that was available to me with the technology that I was introducing. So, you know, I maintained my professionalism. I said, okay, well, I need to figure this out. And yeah, and I, I just, I read, I refused to do anything other than like, take the high road. There were no, uh, I, there was no, Blaming, no arguing, no nothing that went on behind the scenes. It's just like, okay, well, now we found out what not to do next time. So, and I respond or I, I, I have an ability that when like really big stuff happens, I can pretty much take it
2: in stride. You do well it's, under pressure.
0: Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the little stuff that I come and glue with, but. <laughs> <laughs> like my early onset
2: road rage, but that's a whole other, um, uh, welcome to Houston, yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, that's a whole other topic. It has nothing to do with our work, but yeah. So yeah. So the, the, the biggest lesson is just like, be so rock solid about yourself, regardless of what's going on around you. And yeah, the old, like never let them see you sweat. Cause
2: anyway, it's, that sounds like a roller coaster, A little bit, a mini one. Yeah. <laughs> mini one. For sure. yeah, yeah. What's your favorite podcast? Well,
0: you know, okay, so after we've done all the mindset chat, so I, I love Tony Robbins. A
2: lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. I'm,
0: I met, I met, I actually met him in person back in the day in, in like at a very small private event with another business that I had back in the, when he was always went by Anthony Robbins. So uh. everybody always calls him Tony. I'm like, what? he changed his name. We, we all knew him as Anthony. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I love, yeah. I really, really like his work. So, and, That's again,
2: really and cool it's really cool you got to meet him. Yeah. 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 Very cool guy. Awesome. And speaking of podcasts, you actually were launching something next year. You want to talk about that? Yes.
0: So I'm going to be the host of the Oil and Gas Global Network Downstream podcast. And I'm excited about being able to talk to everyone in the downstream industry and just having some great conversations, meeting a lot of great people.
2: I'm looking forward to it as well. Yay, launching (laughs) another one. And so, of course, because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and, most importantly, safe, uh, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you so much for joining me again today, Cindy Lee. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about GOA Enterprises, or if a company wants to reach out to you about (laughs) sponsorship for a podcast, how can they go about doing that? Again, email is probably best. Love my email. So, uh, I believe we're going to put
0: it in the show notes. My business address is slgillespie at goaenterprises.com, or you can also reach me at gillespie at oil and, oil and gas global network.com.
2: Well, you know what's exciting about that little yes. mishap yes. is, yes. is we actually, yes. we acqu- we finally acquired OGGN.com. OGGN. So yes. there's not going to be any more oil yes. and gas. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's just. <laughs> Do you know how many typos I've, you know? No kidding. Right? Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. And then, of course, we have the happy hour coming up, the end of January, the last 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 Tuesday Tuesday, of January here at the Canon from 6 to 8. So would love to meet everyone. Love to see you. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door.
1: Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwarks Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.